Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a new league year edition of the podcast. I'm Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We're going to get to some Hey Mary Kay questions a little bit later, but Mary Kay, there was news uh, about two hours here before we recorded this. The Browns landed their safety. This was a position a lot of people were watching. It was a player a lot of people were watching. Um, this It's somebody you've mentioned. Uh, I think I had him as the, my guy from the Chiefs that, that the Browns should target. So this is going to be a very popular signing. And I'm speaking, of course, of Juan Thornhill, who uh, comes to the Browns from the Chiefs, uh, has won a couple of Super Bowls there. He took over as a starter there recently uh, when Teron Matthew left and you know, they brought in Justin Reed and, and he's had a bigger role in that defense, kind of a growing role over the years. So this is a pretty good signing here. And this to me is just, again, we've talked about this, Mary Kay, Andrew Barry, knowing what he needs and just going out and taking a very targeted approach to, to free agency. Yeah, I mean, they really needed to get a, a good veteran safety in here to replace John Johnson III, who was released today as we're taping this with that June 1st designation. And we can explain that a little bit more uh, in detail in a little bit here. Um, but they needed to do this. They needed to go out and get that veteran presence there uh, to help down hold down the fort there at safety. Uh, Juan, Juan Thornhill uh, was a 2019 draft pick of the Chiefs. And, uh, you know, he's started a lot of football games. He's been to the Super Bowl. He's actually been to a physically been to a Super Bowl two different times. Uh, one time in his first year, he didn't actually get to play in the Super Bowl that they won uh, because he tore an ACL in the season finale that year in 2019. So he didn't get to play in that Super Bowl. But then he came back and, and grabbed, uh, you know, grabbed the Super Bowl victory uh, this past February. So. Uh, he comes with a lot of experience. He um, he was the number 44th safety by Pro Football Focus uh, in 2022. So not super highly ranked. I mean, you're not talking about a Jesse Bates necessarily or one of the top safeties in the NFL. But he should be a really good, solid starter. And... Um, you know, and, and maybe even part of the rotation if they if they work some other guys in there. Uh, but he's somebody that can come in at a, at a very reasonable price, $7 million a year, and nail down that starting job. I, I think the number two is important because, you know, we spent a lot of time here talking about Jesse Bates and he got a huge contract to go to Atlanta. Um, so, so this, I mean, look, this isn't chump change. It's still a, a sizable contract, but this is you know, obviously a little more, I think, in line of maybe what we expected the Browns to be able to pay, especially because they paid so much for the defensive, you know, something's got to give. And I know, you know, they'll structure these contracts in a way it's probably not going to hit the cap too hard this year. But, you know, you do still need to be wary of, of that, of what you're paying year to year. And when you spend that much of defensive tackle, that, you know, that money has to come out of someplace else, I'd imagine. Yes, I mean, it, it really definitely does. And, you know, they went out and they got their defensive end on Monday and they got their defensive tackle and they're paying Delvin Tomlinson. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about $14 million a year. So that's another double digit million guy. Uh, now, in terms of um, of their of Oboe, he is only somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, a little bit over six and a half million dollars a year. Uh, so he was more in line with the price of Juan Thornhill. 
And um, so, yeah, you do have to cut corners somewhere. Now, they were interested in Jesse Bates. They were interested in C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They had some of these guys in their sights. Um, but, you know, like you said, you can't afford everybody. And I think that they accomplished what they wanted to with these three guys. They needed a defensive tackle. They needed a defensive end. And they needed a safety. They needed veteran guys to plug into those positions. And, and they got them. And they got them at prices they can afford them at. And they took the pressure off of themselves to have to go drafting one of these guys. Yeah, I don't think any of these guys rules out maybe drafting a guy behind them. You know, I mean, maybe you're not going to draft a starting caliber safety because you know you're going to play Juan Thornhill pretty much every snap. But you can still draft an edge rusher. You can still draft a tackle. You can still develop the guys that are in your building too. But you know, like you mentioned, they've addressed their three biggest needs now through free agency, which is something that, again, to Andrew Barry's credit, he has done each year. Now the results have ultimately in the end been mixed, but at least, you know, on paper and free agency, it's been a a really smart approach. And this year's another example of that. Um, And you, you have three starters here. You know, Tomlinson is going to be a starter. Thornhill is going to start and play probably every snap, you know, Oboe, I I think his career high, he's played something like 50%. I think he played 45% of the defensive snaps in Houston. So, um, you know, we'll see kind of, how much that jumps up here in Cleveland, but he's going to be a starter, uh, you know, I'd imagine. So you've drafted three pretty important pieces to not draft. You've signed three pretty important pieces to your defense here already. Yeah. Now the interesting thing, Dan, about Oboe, uh, when I looked over his career, uh, you can kind of see the trajectory of where things sort of went for him. He had some injury history. So when he was with the Rams uh, for the first three years of his career, He didn't have any starts. He did not start any games. He missed his whole entire rookie season with a foot injury. And then he had a dislocated elbow and some other things that happened to him. And he never really cracked the starting lineup. And he was actually more of an outside linebacker. He's not a really big guy. He's, he's on the smaller side for a defensive end. He's, he's listed sometimes at six one, sometimes at six two. So he's definitely not your typical defensive end kind of player. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how they view him and what they want to do, because he really is more the size of a linebacker. But um, nevertheless, he should be out there on the edge, helping Miles Garrett, uh, you know, to get some of those sacks. But when he was uh, when he did finally crack the starting lineup for the first time in Houston last year, it happened in week 11. He started the final eight games of the season. That's it. Those are his only eight starts of his entire career. And he was a 2018 draft pick. Uh, so those were the only eight starts of his career. But when he started there at defensive end in those last eight games, he lit it up. I mean, he had that's when he had all five of his sacks. He finished very, very strong. During that span of time, he was just one tiny little notch ahead of Miles Garrett in terms of pass rush win rate. So you're getting someone uh, with a lot of upside potential there. And, you know, I think that uh, Jim Schwartz will do a really, really nice job with him in terms of developing, developing him as a pass rusher and getting him moving forward early and often. You also signed a couple guys that have won Super Bowls. I mean, we, we talked about Thornhill and, and, you know, Oboe, it's, you know, he wasn't like a, a huge, he played, you know, he's won a Super Bowl. These are two guys that have been there that have been through that marathon. They've been through that sprint. 
They kind of know what it, you know, that's sprint in January. They, they know what it feels like. They know what it takes. I, I think that matters to an extent to have guys that, that have been there that have actually won one and, and kind of know what goes into that 17 game season leading up to it. And then that crazy month of January and, and, you know, part of early February. Absolutely. 100%. They know what success looks like. They do know what it takes to get there. Uh, again, as we mentioned, Juan Thornhill has been to the Super Bowl three times in his four seasons, three times in his four seasons. So he knows exactly what it takes. He knows uh, what you need to do, how you need to take care of your body, how you need to pace yourself, the intensity level that you need to play at. Uh, and then the same thing for Oboe. So, yeah, I think that matters. And, uh, you know, these guys can help show the way to other young guys on this football team that haven't been to the playoffs. Uh, because now you're going to have a number of young guys who have been here, uh, you know, they, they missed the playoffs the last two seasons. So the guys that have been here for a while, you know, for these past couple of years, they don't know what that's like. Um, of course, the guys that have been here since 2020, they have a, a feel for it. Uh, but nothing like getting all the way to the Super Bowl. So I do think it's meaningful, and uh, and I think that they will be able to share some of that wisdom. All right, so a good start to uh, to free agency here for the Browns. Um, there's one one more piece out there, one more missing piece, Mary Kay. I think we all know what that is. That would just make this the perfect free agency for for the Browns, right? That I don't know whether it's whether it's Elijah Moore or McCole Hardman or DJ Chark or Jerry Judy, I don't know that there's one more piece out there and we all kind of know the position that that piece belongs in. (laughs) Yes. You know what? I I think so. And I think they're going to continue to work on it. We keep hearing that the Denver Broncos are uh, interested in, in trading some of their receivers. Uh, Now, when we heard about Jerry Judy, you know, what we heard was that it was going to take a first round pick to acquire him. But, you know, will it ultimately take that? Is anybody going to give that up? You know, we'll have to see about that. Because as we know, the Browns don't have a first round pick to surrender. But if they would take a second, I would do that. I would probably do that in a heartbeat. Uh, so I think this is something to watch over the next couple of days. If they could pull off something like this, uh, you know, I still think they, you know, they've got the money to do it. And if they need to clear more cap space, they can do it. So uh, I definitely think they should still go out and try to find that speedy receiver. Um, you know, as you know, I wrote that column that I think they should try to trade for Elijah Moore. I had a couple of people after that say, oh, you know, what if he's a malcontent? And I don't know if he's the right guy for them and all that kind of stuff. So chances are that's not going to happen, although I still think that that would be a very interesting acquisition at the price point, at the age and all of those kinds of things. Uh, but you know, maybe they do have to look at the Jerry Judy's of the world. You know, Cortland Sutton might also be on the trading block. You still have Brandon Cooks to talk about. You know, DeAndre Hopkins. I had a couple of people tell me that you know maybe DeAndre Hopkins, you know, wouldn't be the right fit here. Um, but you know, there's some sentiment or some thought that Brandon Cooks, who flourished with Deshaun Watson in Houston, would be good for this football team. So there are still some things that they can do. It seems like the the wide receiver market is going to stretch out a little bit, at least for a few days. And uh, and then you'll start to see the dominoes fall. That's how it usually works. Uh, you, you know, I think one of the things that needs to happen first is for, you know, Aaron Rodgers to get in place with the Jets 
And then you sort of figure out, okay, who you take, who are you taking with him? You know, they already agreed to terms with Alan Lazard from the Packers. You know, he's saying that he wants Odell Beckham Jr. He's saying he wants Randall, Randall Cobb. Um, so I'm sure they will try to do everything they can to accommodate him. And if they acquire guys like that, then some of those guys might end up becoming available. And then you've got, you know, the, the young player that I proposed in Elijah Moore possibly becoming available. Um, they've got Corey Davis there. So yeah, we'll have to see how that all plays out, but there are, are plenty of like little rumblings of different receivers that, that can be had. And here's the thing about that second round pick. You know, we talked about Elijah Moore yesterday, how, you know, he's still young, um, still on that rookie contract. And the same thing goes for Jerry Judy. He's, he's got one more year left on that rookie contract. Plus he was a first round pick. So if the Browns acquired him, they could exercise that fifth year option. Uh, but I mean, his cap number is $4.8 million this year. It would obviously jump with the, with a fifth year option. But uh, I mean, if you're going to trade a second round pick for somebody, Jerry Judy at age 23 turns 24 in April, you know, with still a, you know, two years of team control, including a really cheap year this year. I mean, that that's, a great use of a second round pick. Are you going to draft a, a player better than Jerry Judy? Or are you going to draft a player better than Elijah Moore? And, and the only benefit there would be, you know, two, three more years on a rookie deal than, than what those guys already have left. I, I, I don't know if you're drafting a better player than either one of those guys at 42 in this draft. Oh yeah. You're so right about that. And I think that's probably why the asking price is so high. There are plenty of teams interested and they really want to hold out for that first round pick, which of course we know that the Browns don't have a first round pick either this year or next year. So they would, they would have to get very creative in trying to get this deal done. Um, so, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means that, you know, that they might have to work a little harder if that's who they really want. Um, you know, everything seems to be there. All the boxes are checked off except for that asking price of the draft pick. So um, if somebody get, gives them the number one that they want, then that's out of reach for the Browns, but maybe they won't be able to get it. Okay, let's take a break and then we will do some of our Hey Mary Kay questions that were sent in earlier today before the Browns added uh, that safety one Thornhill in free agency. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Let's get to some Hey Mary Kay questions. These came from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to get involved, cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page. We give you a newsletter every day. Uh, you become one of our tech subscribers, which is where we get these questions from. And you get access to those stories at cleveland.com slash Browns. It's a subscriber exclusive on them you get access to all of those. So let's start here. Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut, one of our long timers. Hey, Mary Kay, great free agent coverage. What have we learned, if anything, about the draft strategy based on the current signings? Well, I think that, uh, once again, I think it really takes the pressure off. You do not have to go into the draft needing anything. This is a regime that does not like to draft for need. They like to go in there and take the best available player on their board at the time. I mean, if it's a, if it's a guard, they're going to take a guard. Now, I don't know how they would have their necessarily have their board set up, but, um, but you know, if it's a linebacker or if it's a cornerback, whatever the case may be, they're going to go for the best possible young players that they can get in the draft. So 
that draft strategy will remain the same. That's why they, they do feel like they have to go out and get some of these, uh, fill some of these holes in free agency. So they're not worried about trying to draft like that, where you, uh, you know, you're backed into a corner. And if you don't get that defensive tackle, um, you know, then you're in a world of hurt and, you know, they just don't want to operate like that. So, um, so this is, you know, this is what they do now. They, they don't have to worry about it. They can go in there. Now they still do have to get that receiver somehow. And you want to take that pressure off as well. You don't want to go into the season without a speedy receiver and you don't want to go into the draft uh, at number 42 saying, okay, we got to get a speedy receiver here. We, we have to do that. Um, so I think they will still look long and hard for that over the next couple days, weeks, maybe. Yeah. I don't feel like free agency has ever necessarily tipped Andrew Barry's hand other than his first year when they didn't address left tackle. Um, they just went out and signed Jack Conklin. That one felt pretty obvious, but mm-hmm. I can't, I mean, his other drafts, I don't think free agency has ever screamed like, this is what they're going to do. Um, you know, they, Greg Newsom made sense in, in the second draft, but they could have gone JOK in the first round there. They could have, there were no, they could have gone receiver in the first round there with, um, with uh, Rashad Bateman. So, any of those were real possibilities. I, I think, you know, thinking back to that first draft, they signed a tight end and drafted a tight end. You know, they've signed O lineman and drafted O lineman. I, I don't know that free agency necessarily tells us what Andrew Barry's going to do because I think he views them so differently. And um, they'll, they'll double up. And unless there's a, just an absolutely glaring need and a match there, I, I, it's really difficult to predict. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, they're using it as, you know, the draft is really for their developmental program, right? I mean, that's really what that is. That's for, in many cases, it's for a year down the road, two years down the road, three years down the road, even, you know, they don't necessarily expect these guys to come in right away and start 17 games and make the Pro Bowl in their first year. You know, like we've always said before, they draft them very young, they look to develop them and they've got guys in the pipeline ready to move into those starting spots as the years go by. So, um, you know, so I think that's, you know, one thing that, you know, we, now that we've had this regime around for, you know, heading into the fourth season, you know what their tendencies are, you know what they like to do, you know what they don't like to do. And um, even though they'll pivot and they're open to anything, uh, you, they still have trends of things that they will and or won't do. Okay. A lot of questions. We, we get questions. I shouldn't say a lot, but we do get questions about Lamar Jackson uh, when, when we do a call out for questions. So this one comes from our buddy uh, Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland in Lamar Jackson country. He says, Hey, Mary Kay, I have to admit that out of all the ramifications resulting from the Watson contract, watching the Ravens go through these quarterback issues is an unexpected silver lining, especially being around all these Ravens fans. Having said that, do you think the Browns have set a precedent with that contract, or do you think teams will ultimately hold firm and keep that contract an outlier? You know, I think it kind of depends. I don't, I certainly don't think that it's going to be another five or six years before someone else gets uh, the fully guaranteed contract 
you know, in the neighborhood of that $230 million that Deshaun Watson got. I mean, even uh, Lamar Jackson said that the Ravens offered him a fully guaranteed contract uh, for three years and a, whatever, $133 million or something like that. So they were willing to, to move off their uh, hardline stance of not giving the fully guaranteed contract. They just didn't want to do it for as many years because of the bigger commitment of money, but somebody else will do it. So I don't think that, um, that they're going to be the outliers in this. I think it will start to be something that more players demand as their contracts come up. I think we're about to find out in the next off season or two with, I mean, Joe Burrow's up, not, he's not up, but he's, he's eligible to be extended this off season. So mm-hmm. we'll see what Cincinnati does. And that's, that's a situation to keep an eye on because that is not an organization that throws money around very much. They do things very much on a shoestring budget in Cincinnati. So that's a situation to keep an eye on. But if anybody could stand there and demand a guaranteed contract, it's him, Justin Herbert. Um, you know, that's a situation where a young quarterback, they're trying to get a foothold in LA. He's got a lot of leverage. Uh, if Trevor Lawrence has another big year, he'll be eligible next off season. I mean, there's some guys coming up that, I mean, if Tua didn't have the concussion issues, he'd probably be, you know, this off season, we'd be talking about what kind of money he would get. So there are some guys I think that are going to kind of make the Deshaun Watson contract look a little more normal. I don't know if they're going to get those full guarantees that he got, but if, if that's what like Joe Burrow wants, or if that's what Justin Herbert wants, they have, all the leverage in those situations. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because as the years go by, the numbers that sounded so high, you know, two years ago, three years ago, start to sound, you know, almost pedestrian at times. You know, you start throwing around, you know, $42 million and $43 million and $46 million a year. And, you know, two years from now, it'll be like, oh, and you know, anybody can go out and get themselves some $46 million a year. Um, so, uh, you know, I just, I don't think that that contract is going to look uh, as groundbreaking two years from now, obviously, as it did when it was first done, because the, uh, the numbers climbed so high, so fast. And as you mentioned, there are some really, really good quarterbacks coming up and uh, they're going to want their money and they are going to get paid. So we'll see how it goes, but Certainly, uh, it is impacting the Ravens in a profound way, and it you know it could open the door, oddly enough, unintended consequence for the Browns to win the AFC North. I mean, if it's if it's down to a two team race between Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson because you're taking Lamar Jackson out of the mix, then you know you've really uh, accomplished more than you even hoped for with that contract, but. I don't know. There's still part of me that in the end, when push comes to shove, I think they know that in order to compete in the AFC North, that they are going to have to get him wrapped up. So I I still think it'll probably happen. And I think there's situations where it's happened in other sports. You know, I'm trying to think of a specific one in football, but off the top of my head, I can't, I'm sure there's one out there, but where it just seems like, Oh, this is unreconcilable and there's no way it just feels really bad right now. And I don't know how these two sides are ever going to be able to get along again. And then guess what contract gets done and it's right back to normal. So, I mean, that happens in sports. Sometimes these negotiations can get a little bit ugly or a lot ugly. And then the next thing you know, the deal's done and everybody plays nice again. 
yeah, sometimes it happens like that and sometimes it doesn't and you never know. And I think sometimes it has to do with uh, the player and how principled the player is and, you know, what they're like just in terms of how they feel about they've been how they've been treated. Um, so it, it seems like uh, Lamar feels, you know, slighted by the Ravens and a little bit hurt about things. So I think it will depend on, you know, if he can overcome that and kind of get over those feelings, uh, you know, once the uh, the ink is dry and just move on and play some good football. You had mentioned this at the beginning, and I forgot to circle back to it. And there's another one to ask, too. The June 1st designation. Can you explain why the Browns did that with John Johnson? Yeah, when you when you designate someone a June 1st move, trade, or cut, that's another bookkeeping measure whereby the prorated signing bonus and the prorated salary gets moved out to future years is probably the easiest way to put it. If once they waited until June 1st, it went from like a $13, 5000000 million cap hit to some of it getting put onto, you know, next year, future years. So, um, so 9.75 million of it is saved on the cap this year and $3.75 million on the cap is a dead cap charge for 2024. So it's really just a way of, you know, putting it off. It's, it's just making the cap hit smaller for this year and putting a chunk of it onto a future year. And one other thing, um, cause I think it caught some people by surprise. Uh, Jadavion Clowney <laughs> was popped up today and he was going to be a free agent. Um, but he popped up as the Browns terminating his contract. And, and that was just a bookkeeping issue too, as well. Right. Yes. It was just a bookkeeping measure. Uh, he, he was basically a free agent after this year and, uh, they just needed to make that move that he had voidable years on his contract. And that's another situation where you use these fake years later on in the contract. So you can stretch out the signing bonuses through those years and keep your cap lower now. So this was one of those voidable years type of situations to, uh, to make sure that you just didn't have too much cap space being eaten up too, you know, too early on in the life of the contract. So anyways, it was, I think there was something about like, there's like $1.6 million on the books for him next year, I think it is, but it's, it's not a large amount of money. And it was really just one of those bookkeeping measures. All right, let's get back to the Browns roster or actually a a guy who is hitting free agency, uh, Mike in Chester, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, why didn't the Browns trade Kareem Hunt last year? when they could have gotten draft capital. You know, they um, they wanted to keep him in the event of injury to to Nick Chubb. I mean, you know, he's he's a big part of the offense. He was a much bigger part of the offense uh, that year, too, where, you know, he's catching a lot of passes out of the backfield. He's going out there and he's uh, replacing Nick and, and, and really, you know, trying to not have too much drop-off from Nick. So, you know, that's why, you know, they, they just felt that he was, you know, a really big part of the team and didn't want to give him up at that point. And he was at a pretty good price point at $6 million a year. 
that's not that bad for a running back of that caliber. Um, but, you know, after this past year, it just became evident that, you know, that they were moving on and, and that they were done. Now, when in retrospect, you know, maybe they wish they would have done it back then. Uh, but I think they just wanted that insurance policy against an injury to Nick. Yeah, I feel like it's mostly a hindsight thing. Um, because I, I mean, I remember even when they were talking about, when, you know, when he requested the trade, you know, my thought was, is this a guy that can help you win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, at the time, they still thought that they were going to make the playoffs and, and maybe be in a position to to win some games with Deshaun Watson. And it didn't go that way in the first 11 games. And Deshaun wasn't quite ready yet. He was super rusty when he came back. So it just didn't work out that way. But at the time, I think there was still optimism around this team. And I don't even remember if when he requested the trade, we knew the, the full extent of the suspension. Uh, but there was at least some optimism that they could do something. And a guy like Kareem Hunt, who we knew was in the final year of his contract, if he plays like Kareem is capable, can help you maybe win a game or two. Yeah, absolutely. And, they, you know, they just weren't really sure how things were going to go at that point. It was still early on enough in the season where if Deshaun comes back and he's, uh, you know, just lights out in those final six games, I mean, you just never know uh, what could have happened from a playoff standpoint. So, I just don't think that they were ready to do that at that time. It wasn't going to be worth the draft pick that they would have gotten either. I mean, like, you know, why do something like that for a fifth round pick, right? When, you know, you can have the value of the player uh, who can help you win games. That that would mean more to them uh, than a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick unless you really wanted to unload the player. Uh, but for the most part, he was, you know, doing what was asked of him. And he, you know, he was not trouble. He's, uh, you know, close to Nick, very close to Nick. I mean, that might've had something to do with it too. I mean, you, you know, you don't necessarily want to, uh, you know, upset the apple cart too much and upset the, the chemistry of your running back room and the offense in the middle of a season. And, you know, you probably, we've, you know, you brought this up with David Njoku. I think you've even, you've even mentioned it with Kareem. You, you don't want to like necessarily reward bad behavior either. Because mm-hmm. he kind of pouted, he sat out, he sat out drills, and you don't want to reward that and send the message that hey, if you want out, this is all you got to do. So I, th- I think that's at least twice now that they've taken a stand when someone has has wanted out and said that this isn't how we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they are trying to establish, I think, that you cannot uh, demand your way out of town. That asking to be traded that they they are going to be in control of your future, your contract, your situation, and you're not going to stomp your feet here and demand to be traded, and they're just going to do that. So I think that they really needed to set the tone with that, and I think by now uh, they've established that for the most part. Okay, uh, we'll leave it at that here uh, with the Browns adding a safety earlier today in Juan Thornhill right before we recorded, and then some Hey Mary Kay questions. Oh, go ahead, Mary Kay, you got one more thing? Yeah, I was going to say, nobody asked it, but we should bring up the fact that Baker Mayfield signed today. Oh, you know what, the, somebody or, somebody did ask, oh, did and I, I okay. was going to ask it. You know what, let's do this. Let's do this the proper way. Uh, let me find it here from the 330 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, prediction for Baker Mayfield's success or lack of in Tampa? Well, it's funny because on the very same day, Baker Mayfield goes to Tampa on a one-year deal with a, worth about 
$8.5 million. And then Jacoby Brissett uh, agrees to terms with the Washington Commanders for a one-year deal worth up to about $10 million and uh, with $8 million guaranteed. The thing that's significant about that is the fact that it means that, yes, the Browns absolutely 100% need to find a backup quarterback. Um, but it's funny because now, you know, we're going to be watching the careers of these two guys and you have to, you're going to have to wonder, did the Bucks sign the wrong former Brown? <laughs> I mean, if you look at their numbers from last year, uh, Jacoby Brissett was the better quarterback of the two of them. So, you know, we'll have to see if, if they regret that or if they don't, you know, Jacoby, for whatever, for whatever reason, still doesn't have that cachet or that reputation out there. You know, I think Baker's still living off the sort of first round pick thing, the, yeah. the 20, right? I mean, the 27 touchdowns as a rookie, the, I mean, not for, you know, the number one overall pick thing. Um, so, and the other thing is, I mean, I think when he went out there on national television, even though it was only his one of two victories last year, when he went and, and brought the Rams back in that game on primetime TV, I don't know. I think people, you know, might have said, hey, maybe there's still something here to work with. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know the Bucks all that well right now to know, you know, what they're going to need, what they've lost, what they're adding. But, you know, I, for whatever reason, I'm thinking six victories. <laughs> that yeah i mean i th I think you'll have some weapons there um i don't know the full state of their wide receiving core here in free agency but um right. yeah, i think they'll have some weapons the line was a little beat up last year you know we'll see all i could think of though was that super bowl commercial was it after his rookie season <laughs> yeah when tom brady handed him the super bowl rings and yes. uh, that, that's all I could think of because he's now going to Tampa to take over for Tom Brady. And that is not what any of us were thinking when we saw that commercial. Uh, everybody was feeling great about Baker, like, oh, maybe the Browns have the guy. Maybe this is it. And it's it's just sort of funny that he actually is taking over for Tom Brady, but certainly not in the way that it felt when uh, when they shot that commercial and it aired during the Super Bowl. Absolutely. My goodness. Yes, that was funny to look back and and think about that. So here he is now trying to follow in the footsteps of Tom Brady. Boy, I mean, the bar's not set too high there, is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, we'll have to see how this goes. But, you know, if I were the if I were the Bucks, I think I would have signed Jacoby over over Baker. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's a good signing in Washington. Um, see what they see what they end up doing there uh, behind him. If it's Sam Howell or, or if it's somebody else. Okay, there we go. We got our Baker Mayfield question in there. I'm glad that you reminded me of that because I did have that one uh, highlighted as, as one to ask, and I just completely forgot about it. So now that'll do it for uh, this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I mentioned Football Insider earlier. Like I said, that's where we got all those questions. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. And also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and make sure you leave us a five-star review and, and maybe say a couple nice things about us while you're at it, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.